Spectrum Business knows small business owners have to do it all. Get Spectrum One for business. Just $49.99 a month for internet, advanced Wi-Fi with security shield and a free mobile line for a year. Learn more at spectrum.com slash business. Restrictions apply. Services not available in all areas. We all know Kit Kat bars taste delicious, but what about how they sound? It's not just a catchy jingle. It's the satisfying crack of breaking off a piece of Kit Kat followed by a crisp crunch. Oh, we forgot one other sound that accompanies Kit Kat bars, too. It's... Or maybe it's more like... All together, Kit Kat bars are music to our ears and yummy flavors to our mouths. Have a break. Have a Kit Kat. College baseball fans, it's time for the D1 Baseball Podcast with Mike Rooney, Aaron Fitt, and Kendall Rogers. Let's win every podcast. Now, here's the pride of the Newtown Edgemont Little League, Coach Rooney. Hello and welcome to the 47 Minutes of Heaven we call the D1 Baseball Podcast. I am your host, Michael Patrick Rooney. Tonight's episode brought to us by our good friends at S2 Cognition. S2 Cognition delivers a revolutionary approach to helping athletes understand how in-game decisions impact their performance from youth levels all the way to the pros. We're talking about swing decisions. Get an assessment. If you're a parent or, or a, a baseball player, a, a softball player, uh, you want to learn how, how am I in the area of swing decisions? That's what the S2 assessment will help you do. And then once you know where you're at, then you can do something, make, create a plan for improvement. Again, bat speed, exit velocities, irrelevant if we don't make good swing decisions. Ted Williams taught us that a long time ago. Uh, I am joined, as always, by the great Coach Healy, Joseph J. Healy, uh, the great Aaron Zebediah Fit, Zebby Barrels, and the Director of Player Personnel for the Klein Bengals, Kendall J. Rogers, whose X account is no longer available, not on your screen if you're watching us. Gentlemen, happy Thursday evening. How are we doing? Outstanding, Runes. Outstanding. That's good. Good way to well, that was. Con- that was- I don't know what would be more convincing, Kendall's response or me coming in with me <laughs> clearing my throat as the first noise that I made. Natural sounds. Yeah. All right, boys, let's get, to it. let's get to the name banter. I have a question. You're gonna have, you may have to think about this for a second. The question is, how many live music concerts have you been to in your life? Oh, my Lord. How many live – some of you may have to ballpark it. Some of us – actually won't have to ballpark it how many live music concerts have you been to in your life raise your hand when you're ready to answer said question joe because i'm gonna have to ballpark it but it's not a crazy number like aaron's gonna have first of all prediction aaron is going to have more than the other three of us combined aaron's got his abacus out um I would say probably in the range of two dozen, 30, maybe. And here's, here's what gasses that number up a little bit. One is that uh, shout out to Huntsville, Texas. There is a place called the Jolly Fox. If you know, you know, um, right there in town. And like the the Huntsville's pyramid rhino. Is that what we're talking about here? (laughs) Tell us more about the Fox, Joe. Well, it's, it's kind of a, so it's a, bar but it also is probably the the premier music venue in huntsville honestly mm. um like famously if you know eli young band many people do uh mm. they have a they have a live album called live at the jolly fox um so it is a music venue of some distinction if you will so it sounds like a little some bit of a joke but, but it is respected at least in texas country circles so I saw a number of shows there kind of passively because I just happened to be there while music was happening. Mm-hmm. So if you count those, we're probably looking at maybe three dozen or so. The other thing that increases the number for me, and maybe Kindle has a little bit of this too, is it's kind of an annual thing in Houston. You go to the rodeo every year and there's a, at the end of every day of the rodeo, there's a concert in the, used to be in the Astrodome. Now it's in NRG stadium where the Texans play. Um, and it's usually country music. Sometimes it's not, but it's mostly country music. And so I've saw, you know, Reba McIntyre and Alan Jackson and Brooks and Dunn and, and you know, folks like that in my childhood Reba. when I would go to the rodeo every year. So <laughs> that kind of increases the number too. So, you know, three dozen is probably like the top end of it. Cause so I'm, I'm not, I'm not seeking out a ton of live music in my life, even though I enjoy it, but I, I've been around a lot of <laughs> passive concerts in, in that way. Accidental concerts. Joe, you just yeah. gave us the Jolly Fox from Huntsville, Texas. You <clears throat> you are currently the Miller Lite player of the podcast Oh wow! until Thank you. that honor is taken. Kendall, right. let's say you. Now, just to clarify, I'm really th- talking about like you 
purchased a ticket to a music concert. Um, but I will make an exception for the Jolly Fox because mm-hmm. that's just glorious. Thank you. Well, can I can I just let you guys know the Jolly Fox per Google Maps is only thirty three point <laughs> nine miles from Cut and Shoot. Well, I mean, yeah, we could sorry. really do both in one day. Yeah, well, that's, we have that's, the, the that's national. Very important. That's very important scoop for you guys. Well, yeah, it's, it's good because we can we can hit it up, you know, on an off day for the New England Baseball Conference this year. <laughs> short, short <laughs> John. Amen. Yeah. Uh, how many? I would say just fifty plus, like fifty to seventy, probably is what I've done. This Any guy. genre stand out? Country for the Rogers? Yeah, or? I mean. My wife's a big Texas country fan, so I mean, I bet you when I lived in Austin in my late twenties, I bet we saw somebody every other weekend, probably every few weeks. So it's Texas country now. You guys can't even share a music genre. We don't do we're Texas everything, bro. Texas, you know, Texas rock. <laughs> the ro- no, I'm Texas, it's Texas everything. It's okay. um, it's yeah. Like I mean, fifty might be a little heavy. I mean, 40, 40 to sixty. I mean, I, I honestly, I don't know. That's uh, good it's, it's quite a few. Um, best concert I've been to though was uh, I saw Tom Petty live in Houston about I want to say three or four weeks before he passed away, and like he could not have been better. Yeah, that's awesome. I I saw him that same tour, one of his last shows in Boston. Um, and it was uh, uh, right toward the end of the tour, and it was, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it was just he god, the guy was at the top of his powers, and he was hurting too. I mean, he had that hip broken hip that he's playing with and he had no idea uh, he sounded awesome uh, you know that that one i'm still shaken by tom petty's passing even even years later now six years however long it's been that one that one hurts but um yeah i mean you know for me it, it's it's over i mean certainly in in triple triple digits i don't know i was gonna say 200 originally but that might be too high i mean Pretty it's good. you know i don't know any it's, artists that you've seen five or more times fitzy I mean Springsteen, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. That that's 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 the, the number one for me. I, I am a sports writer, after all. Um, yeah. we, you know, we're notorious for liking the boss. Uh, Jason Isbell, uh, I've seen more than five times. Uh, because again, you're a sports writer. Those are the two writer. cliche ones. Those are the two cliche the younger, ones. The younger sports writers, by the way, I'm being told because <laughs> at 35, I'm not, I don't consider myself in this demographic that Turnpike Troubadours is for the yeah, younger set. Yeah, I really like days. them, and I like ha- them too. But that's you Texas know, country. Yep. Yeah, haven't seen them yet, but uh, yeah, they're really good. Yeah, that's what, what about I'm you, Ryan? Yeah, it's embarrassing. Two been to two concerts in my oh, life. Oh, hey, yeah. what were those concerts? Uh, Billy Idol and Bon Jovi when I was in high school. At least they're at least they were good. This is a long time ago, long long time ago. The, the great <laughs> J the great Jennifer Rooney. She has seen Slaughter in concert more times than I've been to a who concert. Who is Slaughter? Yeah, she, Jenny J was a no, metal I'm saying, who back is in Slaughter? the day. Yeah, that's a, a heavy metal band back uh, in the day. Yeah, Joe, you want to get to googling? The, I'm uh, working on it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Slaughter is like that's when you know you're legit. Like that. Hmm. Whenever Jenny's looking for her credibility card, we throw the. Hey, seen Slaughter multiple times in concert. So. How, about well, how about this? Uh, Slaughter is an American rock band that formed in Las Vegas, Nevada in 1988. Get this. The lead singer, his name is actually Mark Slaughter. So that was that was not just a convenient word for a for a, for a band, a rock band, but also his his real name. Good it defines them as, is... as glam metal is kind of the, okay. the genre there so the i think era. that's good good to see that mark you know. thinks very high, highly of himself to name the band after his last name <laughs> i think it's, is that a double entendre in any way fitzy am i stretching that <laughs> all, all i know is i've never seen a glam metal show i, I don't think that's gonna be uh in the cards for me hey um Ritz, well, can i do a little housekeeping here real quick sure what do you got by the way, as you're listening to us just talk about random glam metal uh, topics, <laughs> um, we also, guys, unveiled today the uh, ACC Etc. podcast with Danny Graves and Darren Vaughn. Nice. Uh, those guys have been working pretty hard over the last two or three weeks to kind of get that rolling. And uh, they recorded their first podcast. I'll, Aaron will be proud of me. I actually listened to almost all of it today. Uh, I don't, li- by the way, Danny and Darren, I don't listen to podcasts, but no, I listened to your podcast today. Uh, it was excellent content. Uh, well, almost of all of it. You didn't listen yeah. to the whole thing. Almost all yeah. of it. You said. Almost yeah, all. Almost, of it. Yeah, I think. Well, I think my kid was like yelling at me or something at the end of it, so I had to get off. But um, no, it was awesome. And you know, those two guys. Uh, you know, the thing about us at D one is is we want people involved at D one that are ultra passionate about college baseball. Obviously, 
Uh, we all know about Danny Graves and his passion for the sport for obvious reasons. Uh, but, you know, I didn't really know Darren, and he's a guy that truly, truly loves college baseball. Uh, he's like, uh, what, Aaron, what do you call him? The, the Well, he, he calls himself. Monaco? He calls himself <laughs> off-brand Mike Monaco, and I think he sold himself <laughs> short. Coach Monaco could could learn a thing or two from from Darren, let me tell you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but listen, I mean, I think guys, it's, it's, it's really good stuff. And I, I know a lot of people on our side and, you know, Joe and Mark just absolutely killed the SEC scene. But, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of, you know, we're at, we're branching out. We're adding new podcasts. And I have zero doubt that these guys are going to give ACC fans quite a podcast. Yep. The real bummer is that with this podcast out there with, with Danny Graves – uh, and Darren, it means that Mark and I are really bringing up the rear now in terms of handsomeness on the regional podcast here. At, uh, D1 baseball, Gravy's that's a real problem hair. for us. A real problem you know, for us. You know what, though? Don't sleep on Etheridge's hair now. I mean, he got the silver fox thing point. going now. He's really yeah, like, he's, that's a good head yeah. of hair. How about yeah. our podcast family is quadrangular now? So you got ACC yeah. Extra, Highway to Hoover. I was telling Joe before we, we started taping that his latest episode with, with Eth about just fall exhibition games was a really fun conversation. Uh, they've done some really cool stuff. If you want to get to know the new SEC coaches, uh, those guys interviewed the, you know, the, them over the podcast medium and then our podcast. So ACC extra highway to Hoover shock factor. And then um, our just standard podcast. Yeah. Here. We got a nice little family. You know what? Podcast. I actually, uh, I, you know, I, I lied. Uh, I have listened to more than one podcast. I listened to the Kerry Jackson interview. Uh, Missouri's a really, really tough job. But if there's a dude out there that I would love to see win win at a place like Missouri, it's Carrick Jackson. Like he, for a guy that is at Missouri, and this is no disrespect to Mizzou, but like for a guy that's at Missouri, he is ultra ultra confident. And I'm very curious to see if that that kind of attitude permeates to his program and to his players. What a and segue! That interview was Rose. not coach speak. Yeah, great segue. That that interview was not coach speak. Like Carrick laid he he put it out there. So he is not making excuses. I can tell you that. No kidding. So, all right. So, Kendall, the word that you alluded to but didn't say is intriguing, intrigue. And that's tonight's subject is that we are going to name in different areas of the country and and we can do a little we can be lenient there. uh, Programs that you're intrigued to learn about more this fall. So there's no wrong answer. You could be intrigued for a million different ways. But as we start to embark upon the fall, I mean, Mississippi State's already had a fall scrimmage programs that are intriguing to us in different parts of the country so we're, here are going to be our five areas uh, and again you could you could do whatever you want with this nor a northern program uh, a program on the east coast then we're going to go southeast which i think we know we're talking about there then we're going to go southwest and feel free to go a little bit north there and then we'll go west so we're going to kind of go uh you know the way college baseball goes to be quite honest we're going to go a northern program eastern seaboard southeast part of the country, southwest, and then west. So five regions. Um, why don't we do this? We'll go counterclockwise. Joe, you kick us off since you've spent part of your life in the north. Give us a northern program that is intriguing to you this fall. I'm going to go Indiana State um, because I, I think we went into last year thinking about, okay, a Missouri Valley Conference without DBU plus a few extra teams they've added in, right? You know, Belmont, Murray State, et cetera. Um, how is the Illinois Chicago? Like, how is that going to look? And in year one, Indiana State ran the thing, right? And I think I'm in, most intrigued by them because I want to find out, is this just that Indiana State had one of those teams they they have every once in a while, right? Where they're, they're really old, they're really fundamentally sound. They're really solid. They never beat themselves. Like they had that kind of team in 2019 too, right? Got to a regional final at Vanderbilt. So is this, was 2023 just that, that they peaked at the right time? Or is this now that, hey, this program, you know, is now operating at such a level where they're just going to be the class of the Missouri Valley Conference? And maybe the kinds of things that DBU was doing before in a previous iteration of the MVC is now what Indiana State is going to be doing moving forward. Now, what, we may not know that definitively in the fall, but I do think you can kind of start to get a feel for the talent they have, what kind of te- what the team kind of looks like. They're bringing back some really intriguing pieces on the mound, and, and that's always a good place to start when you're talking mid-majors. So, you know, I'm just kind of interested to find out, is this a new normal for Indiana State or was just this the crest of the wave, which is something we've seen from them before? Mm, I love that. I still am a little bit upset that Indiana State, you know, we all know they were two and nine versus the top 50 last year going to the tournament. And, 
you know, like we, they just couldn't lose that, you know, like it was that, that still kind of bums me out because they had this incredible season. And, and of course they won the regional and all that stuff. It was great. But uh, that's a put good Coach one. Rooney on blast, Indiana State. If you're listening, he said it. He said two and nine. They're kind of like Bernie Madoff. Oh, <laughs> sakes. Don't do it, Kendall. Yeah. For Pete's <laughs> sake. No, I'm just right. kidding. It's, uh, as we've discussed it, on this podcast, it's like help me meet Jeff Jackson, the, the commissioner of the it lake. Will, it, it will be interesting to see how they how they transition because I, I have no doubt that Mitch Hannis is a terrific coach. I was really impressed with those guys uh, at Fort Worth, but Brian Smiley is a loss. Big loss. Um, they're yeah. the recruiting coordinator, associate coach. He's done a terrific job there. I thought Miami, Ohio made a, a grand slam hire when they, when they brought him in. So, uh, you know, losing Brad Smiley does hurt. So that, that will be a transition, but I'm with Joe. They're, they're ultra intriguing. And frankly, for, for college baseball and for college baseball in that region, I would love to see those guys, you know, follow up a, a, a super regional trip with another really good season, just to kind of, just to kind of get rid of any kind of idea that that was just a quote unquote Cinderella run. Mm, I'm with you. No, that's good points. Fitzy, who are you going with in the North? Oh, North Bay. I think I mentioned this last week, but I'm starting my fall circuit this year in the North. Uh, I'm going to make a new England run. I'm going to see three, three teams that I'm intrigued to see. Certainly. I mean, UConn, I think we already know they're, they're an established Mm -hmm. program. Boston college. We've talked about, you know, new coach, Todd Donato. certainly look forward to seeing what he can do. But I'll tell you what the team that, that intrigues me up there right now is Northeastern um, because it feels like a program that is like on that short list of programs that is like kind of poised to take the next step. They've been, now they've become like a, a regular in regionals. Um, they need to win in regionals. You know, Mike Glavin mentioned that to me. And I saw him at one point this spring. He's like, yeah, like, you know, that's the next step for us is like, you need to do better than, than show up and go 0-2. We need to, you know, we want to win a regional. And it's like kind of like UNC Wilmington, like he's been knocking that door forever now. It's like one of these teams has got to break through um, and take that next step, and it's not easy to do. Uh, but I like certainly the trajectory of that program. I like what they've got coming back. Obviously, Mike Sirota, as, as we know, is, is a, is a big-time star, but there's a, a lot of talent coming back on that team. Um, you know, the Maldonado kid in the outfield, I think, is, is a, a budding superstar um, who had a great freshman year. He's, you know, big physical you know, speed and power threat. But there's a there's a lot to like about this roster. Uh, I'm excited to, to get a look at those guys. Uh, Dennis Colloran coming back off TJ was just electric of the Cape. I think this is a team that could be a, a top 25 team and could, frankly – you know, be in that mix to, to, to be this year's dark horse hosting threat, you know, whether that would be, you know, I don't know where it would be exactly, but keep an eye on Northeastern. I, I think this is a team I'm, I'm very, uh, very high on this year. Mike Glavin is so impressive. Like I, I can't, yeah, he is, man, he's impressive. That's a good one. Go Huskies. Uh, Kendall, who are you going with in the North? Uh, I am ultra, ultra intrigued by Iowa. Um, I, I think when you look at Iowa, they're a program that most certainly has a chance to get to Omaha. I'm very curious to just kind of see how their pitching staff continues to develop with with Brody Breck, Marcus Morgan, Ty Lingenberg, uh, because this is a pitching staff that when you look at the weekend rotation, uh, it's ultra talented. I mean, Marcus Morgan uh, is ultra accomplished. To, to, you know, Ty Lingenberg is a talented pitcher. Uh, then we all know about Brody Brecht, right? One of the top prospects in college baseball. Uh, but this is also a starting rotation, fellas, that had 144 walks last year. And so it's going to be very – it's going to be imperative for Sean McGrath to, to improve their command. If he can improve their command and those guys can be more consistent, Iowa could, could absolutely be in Omaha at the end of the year. So I'm just very curious to see what Sive sees from the Hawkeyes and particularly those three arms this fall. That's a good one. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm just. Aren't we all just dying for Iowa? Like that program's been good for so long. Mm-hmm. We're just like they've got a postseason run in them. I just know they do. And this team has got so much talent on the mound, boys. I'm gonna go. The, the, the I want to pick Penn State. I'm not going to. I want to believe in this Penn State thing so badly. It's my home state. You know, Mike Gambino's awesome. I love the staff that he's put together. Um, but it's too early to do that. I'm. I think we're all excited about Penn State, but they they got a lot of work to do. I'm going to stay in the league, though. I'm going to pick Ohio State. They were really interesting last year, meaning, you know, so they they had a plus 10 year over year win differential in 2022. They won 21 games last year. They won 31 games. But ironically, they finished 11th in the Big Ten. I mean, they they went nine and 15. So I just I, I want to believe in the Big Ten. I want to believe that they can 
really start to, hey, Tony Petiti's a new commissioner. I, I, you know, I love Gene Smith. Gene Smith was my boss at Arizona State for a while, but he doesn't love baseball. Like, I don't think I'm speaking out of school when I say that baseball is not on the top of his list. So you're going to have a new athletic director in Ohio State. The, the, they're going to have so much money. Like, do they go, do they really get after it in baseball? They've got the right head coach. They've got the right staff. It's a great baseball state. I am just really intrigued to see what Ohio State looks like this fall and going forward. Man, that program, there's so much powerful infrastructure there if they unhandcuff themselves. Now, that's a big if. I don't know. I don't know if that's going to happen, but give me the Buckeyes. By the way, I hate them in football. I hope they go oh and forever in football, but sorry. Go Irish. <laughs> Just kidding. Not really. I'm not actually. No, kidding. Wow. Don't back away from that rune. What are you that doing? That was the most sincere thing like, tonight. You just started That's backing right. the bus up the minute it got out of your mouth. Like, rune, rune, see, you can get away with that. Could you imagine if I was like, you know what? I hope the Texas Longhorns never win a football game. Like, could you yeah. imagine if I just came out and said that? Yeah, that would be that would be hard. Now, in fairness, Ohio State has has not. They've absolutely handled Notre Dame the last several football contests. So it's kind of like the little brother popping off at this point. I, I don't think they see us as a threat. Um, so there you go. We're going Ohio State. Uh, Joseph, why don't you take us to the eastern seaboard, the eastern region? First off, Runes, uh, Notre Dame themselves a little bit of a football team this year, huh? I mean, they. Uh, I, I'm monitoring the situation. 24 you know, year old um, quarterback, we like it. Yeah, helps. Yeah. It helps. Yeah, consider consider me monitoring that situation. Thank you. Um, <laughs> on the Eastern Seaboard, I I'm interested in Virginia Tech. I was a big. I caped up for Virginia Tech big time in the preseason last year. You know. And, and it's, it's one thing, you know, we all get fooled in the fall sometimes, right? Like we'll all raise our hand and, and we can all talk about a team that fooled us in the fall. Shout out to Southeastern Louisiana last year for me. Um, but I don't think this was that, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't just that like, oh, okay. Cause a lot of times the fool's gold in the fall, you look back on it and you're like, okay, yeah, I was just kind of ignoring this or ignoring that or overrating this or that. With Virginia Tech, I just don't actually know what happened. <laughs> and part of it is, okay, look, during the season, I cover the SEC most closely, so I, I didn't really have the bandwidth to do a, a big, like, uh, deep dive on, on what had actually, an autopsy, if you will, on what happened here, because I really liked the talent, and a lot of their big guys had nice years. You know, Jack Hurley had a pretty good year. Martini had a pretty good year. Drew Hackenberg got off to a slow start, but second half of the year, he was actually pretty doggone good, and his numbers aren't all that far off from, you know, where they we may have expected them to be except for maybe the ERA. So long story short, the individual pieces seemed okay, but then you look at the results and it's just so far off from what they were the previous year. Mm. And so is, was that a one-off, you know, cause sometimes teams just have a weird vibe. Chemistry is a little off. You lose some leaders maybe. And, and, and this is what you get, but I don't know. It just, it, it just seemed like such a steep drop off from where I thought they would be. And I think maybe we'll start to learn some things in the fall and moving forward about, okay, was 2022 just kind of all things coming together for this program? Or are we going to look at 2023 as the aberration? But I have a feeling five years from now, we're going to look at one of those two seasons as something of an aberration. And we just have to kind of see and let it play out which one it's going to ultimately be. I love that. That's a good one. Uh, Fitzy, what are you going with here? Well, By the way, gonna... before, let me interrupt you for one second, Fitzy. Joe, was that of the verb caped, the, the expression caped up? Is that what I heard you say? Mm -hmm. That's it. Yep. I love mm -hmm. that. Like cape, like Superman, like, is that? Yeah. Like you took up for someone, you supported them. Yeah. Caped up for something. Yeah. Okay. I've, I've not like heard that. that. That's, that's a new phrase for me. Excellent. I, it's It's got a nice ring to it. I, I mean, maybe I'm is, using is it this... incorrectly. I don't know. But like I could just. I'm, in, I'm down. Is this an actual phrase? I'm Googling it. Uh... <laughs> No, I'm, I'm, I think I think this is not a thing. A okay, challenge. Well, you guys, I, I, <laughs> you guys, you guys uh, talk amongst yourselves here. Do your <laughs> do our little podcast, and I'm going to work on this. Come Thank back you. around to me, Runes. Go Google, Google asks. Known at, at the Jolly Fox. Google uh, asks. Did, did you mean uh, capped up? And I was like, I, I don't think I meant capped up. I think I, think I, I meant. I don't think up. that's a. I, I certainly didn't mean that. Yeah, that's a different term. It's a. That's um, a Go ahead, Fitzy. Yeah, I'm going to stick with the ACC. There's a lot of intriguing programs in the ACC, but I'll only pick one. Um, I mean, we have to talk about Florida State, guys. I mean, coming off there. a historically rotten season, shocking, shockingly rotten, especially because we all had so much faith in that new coaching staff, and to come in and, and lay an egg like that was just 
it was tough to to reconcile. And um, I, I, I thoroughly believe that they're going to bounce back strong. I'm certainly buying on Cam Smith as a big time uh, breakout superstar on, on the cusp. And, and there's plenty of other guys back in the fold there, Tibbs and Ferrer. And I think they're going to be very offensive, like a vintage Florida State team. Um, but uh, wh- what can we expect from the Seminoles? Um, you know, they, they now they now they're kind of in a, a, a very unusual position of, of, of you know, entering a season, <laughs> coming off missing a regional for the first time in four plus decades. And it's, you know, what are they going to be? Can they sneak up on people? I mean, is it's still Florida State? I don't know. Uh, it's just a huge, huge season for that program and the new coaching staff. And, uh, and you know, obviously we all believe in Link Jarrett. I certainly do. I'm predicting that they're going to be a, a real contender this year, but it's going to be a major turnaround if so, because boy, were they bad last year. You know what? We missed an opportunity is I believe them and Miami now hold the record for most consecutive NCAA yeah. tournaments and the number is 44. Yeah. And so that record will never be sniffed in any sport period. Like those days are over, but I wish we had last year just taken a guess. Like how long do you, cause I, I think if we're being honest, that was them totally missing the tournament like that. That was not on my radar. Like no. that, that level of collapse was not, not, on the menu at all. I mean, and I think I said this, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast or not. I probably have. So I apologize if I'm repeating myself, but I remember in the preseason, we didn't have them in the top 25 and early in the year, I ran into, um, you know, a North region scout that I really respect. And he goes, I mean, I don't know where you've got Florida state ranked, but wherever it is, it's not high enough. Cause that guy, he, he can really, really coach. I was like, yeah, yeah, man, you're probably right. Like we, we screwed up. They're not in the top 25. Like <laughs> he couldn't believe we didn't have them ranked in the top 25 with like Jared as a coach. And, right. and then for him to have that, that season, it's just, I mean, it's just stunning. It's just stunning. Stunning. Yep. Kendall, you had him as a sleeper last year, right? When they wanted you. Uh, yeah. Him as my Omaha sleeper. Great call. He came That's like your only me. bad pick, though. Like your other picks were like, no, come on, uh, now. listen, let's not. Get yeah, my other picks were exquisite. <laughs> well, there's that. Uh, Kendall, who are you going with on the Eastern Seaboard? Well, you know, I made I made this comment. I don't know a few weeks ago, but I, I'm fascinated to see what Wes Johnson does at Georgia. Um, again, I think from a personality standpoint and a coaching standpoint, he's a fantastic assistant. Uh, I had no idea what to expect from Wes as a head coach. Um, and, you know, Georgia is going to have a much different look. You know, they lost Parks Harbor to uh, North Carolina in the transfer portal, but they also added 13 players on the transfer portal. You know, they got uh, Paul Tates from, uh, you know, Purdue is a, a big-time hitter. Uh, Colby Branch from Baylor is a really nice player. Clayton Chadwick from St. Houston, really nice player. Brant Panzer on the back end of the bullpen. You know, not necessarily a blow-you-away arm, but, again, a guy who's thrown a lot of innings in his college baseball career. So uh, they're going to have a much different look. And again, I'm just very intrigued to see how Wes and his staff kind of navigate things in Athens this fall and certainly looking ahead of the spring. I love that. They are very, that's a, that's a perfect program for this pick. They are intriguing. Very yeah, you have no idea what to expect, like zero. Yep. I like it. Uh, boys, I'm going to go East Carolina. I, I, you know, I'm just pretty shook up about all these changes, you know, as I always mess up the expression, Joe, but as you say, the, tectonic shifts or whatever the expression is um, that are happening in college sports. And it just, I, I get flustered by it if I'm being honest. And I just worry that recruits start feeling like if they don't go to a power four program that they're missing out and blah, blah, blah. And like East Carolina is one of these programs that becomes the lighthouse for like, is that true? Like, do you like, can East Carolina continue to recruit at an Omaha level with all of this stuff going on? And I mean, you you just Google Cliff Godwin and what he's accomplished there. I mean, they they make forty five wins a year look like it's easy. You talk to coaches in the American, and they're like, "Your Cliff Godwin is the real deal." Like they are really rough to play against. Like they are so good, um, and they've been so close to Omaha so many times. But so I'm I don't know East Carolina's roster that that well coming in. I mean, uh, Trey Savage is a name that's top of mind, but they've just been this rinse and repeat program to use your phrase Kendall and so that's kind of where I'm at is like can they can they continue to do that as all these wicked changes are happening in college baseball so I'm very optimistic I wouldn't bet against them but it's almost like I'm uh like I'm this hopeful person that I I want to look at East Carolina this fall and be reassured 
but I'm just not sure what I'm going to see when I look at them this fall. So there you go. East Carolina. I've put the weight of the world on your fall ball. So, no pressure. Oh, goodness. Um, very good. Joe, you want to take us to the Southeast? I will hear it momentarily. Uh, I, and I will have, be more brief because I have a couple of important housekeeping pieces here. First thank of you. all, thank you for bringing up the, the phrase about tectonic plate shifting. Uh, shout out to Thingvellir National Park in, in Iceland. Uh, you can literally walk between tectonic plates there. Wow. Uh, nice little, nice little place there. Uh, Aaron did and I have both been there recently. I did not fall in. You could scuba dive underneath the tectonic plates and like you can touch both not. of them at the same time. It feels like not like, smart. Uh, doesn't feel like a good idea. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it is very cold. Like I, it, not for me, Clive, for sure. Um, well, okay. The other thing is wetsuits though. So, you know, they're, they're, right. Be safe. <clears throat> right. They are insulated. No one, no one is dying doing this. Not, not that I know of anyway. Um, yeah, right. Um, the other thing. Okay. So, I am going about to be, I hope you guys are ready to eat some crow because caped up is a phrase Thank and you, you might be wondering, oh, what kind of, you know, dubious source did Joe cook up here? I am no wondering. less than, no less than Merriam Webster. You ever heard of him or <laughs> her or them? <laughs> Miss, uh, the uh, please allow family. me to read from MerriamWebster.com. Um, so it says, uh, I'll save you the whole, spare you the whole thing, but it says the last line here in the, the intro of this page says, in other words, cape isn't just a noun anymore. It's also a verb. And here's an example um, that uses it specifically the way I used it in an article from NFL.com talking about uh, former, I believe, Patriots running back, LeGarrett Blunt. Is that right, Aaron? Yeah, Did he play for right. the Patriots? And, and, yeah. and of course, you got to start from my bucks, you might remember. Ah, uh, yes, right. indeed. Um, so the quote is, uh, for weeks I've been caping up for Blunt, believing that he had the kind of touchdown upside that would keep him viable. I suppose they're talking about uh, fantasy football there. Yes. Uh, so caping up is is correct. So um, again, I, I hope you guys are ready to eat some crow. Hello, Joe was Joe was right I'm, on. I'm that. on I'm on Miriam right now. I don't even see it. it, it says, <laughs> I, I, I'll, listen, I'll put the link in the chat here. Anyway, uh, my team in the southeast is, is is Alabama. Um, there's a couple things here. One is just, they did have some portal turnover, Cade Woods, uh, Luke Coleman, you know, Colby Shelton, obviously a lot of star power, but you know, they, they kept some guys too, right? I mean, there's still some pretty talented guys there. They brought in a, not quite a Georgia sized transfer portal class, but a, a pretty big transfer portal class. And even beyond that, look on paper, I love the idea of, Hey, you bring in Rob Vaughn, but you keep Jason Jackson. And if you've not listen to the episode on highway to Hoover that we had with, with Rob Vaughn, I would urge you to do so because, you know, he was pretty clear about like, I didn't really want to take this job unless I could have Jason Jackson around. Now <clears throat> I believe him when he says that I believe that they have the best of intentions, but even well-intended people can just not gel as a coaching staff. Right. I mean, that just happens different differences in personality, differences in approach differences in a whole bunch of things. Right. And additionally, he also brought Mike Morrison, in and that was his pitching coach at, at Maryland. So how they work together and, and they've got some pretty cool ideas about that. Again, go listen to the episode, but they've got some pretty cool ideas about that, but I don't think it would be shocking if it's just, there's some, kind of some growing pains. Right. Um, so I'll be interested to kind of see how that, that plays out. And I think the fall will, will give us a good idea of kind of how they intend to divvy things up as a staff and, and how the, the, the new guys are coming along. It's just going to be a, for Alabama, it's going to be a fall of, of kind of feeling each other out, not just on the roster, but also on, on the coaching staff. And that's, that's what the fall is for. Um, there's going to be a lot of that, though, in Tuscaloosa this fall. Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick break from our discussion to hear a couple ads from our sponsors. Spectrum Business knows small business owners have to do it all. Get Spectrum One for business. Just $49.99 a month for internet, advanced Wi-Fi with security shield, and a free mobile line for a year. Learn more at spectrum.com slash business. Restrictions apply. Services not available in all areas. How about Captain Crunch's Crunch Berries with breakfast? Whoa, Dad, we're on Crunch Island. <gasps> it's Jean Le Foot. <laughs> Crunch! Quick, the zip line! He's getting away! Throw our last crunch berry! No! No one steals my crunch berries! I think you mean my crunch berries. Choose your own crunch venture with Captain Crunch! We all know Kit Kat bars taste delicious, but what about how they sound? It's not just a catchy jingle. 
It's the satisfying crack of breaking off a piece of Kit Kat, followed by a crisp crunch. Oh, we forgot one other sound that accompanies Kit Kat bars, too. It's... Or maybe it's more like... All together, Kit Kat bars are music to our ears and yummy flavors to our mouths. Have a break. Have a Kit Kat. For 25 years, nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a Mike's Hard Lemonade. It's because since day one, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. We use three kinds of lemons, all handpicked from family farms, then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Uh, Fitzy, is that you? It's your turn, right? You're correct, Coach Rooney. It is my turn. Um, so I'm going to go non-SEC here. Um, I'm going to go Southern Miss. And, you know, again, another program with, with the coaching change. Scott Barry retired. They made a great run um, in his final, final go-round. And it just feels like it's a perfect, seamless transition here, you know, to go to Christian Ostrander taking over now. It, it feels like there, there's, you know, kind of like – the way that coach Barry took over the reins, it's just going to be a really smooth transition and I expect no drop off. I mean, but like there, there's some pieces they need to replace now. I mean, they had a lot of veteran guys in that team that are gone now. And obviously Tanner Hall uh, was a key piece last three years. Um, you know, I, I think that they recruit very well. I'm expecting the next wave. I expect like a JB Middleton to emerge as a star now, a guy that I was very high on heading into last year and showed us some signs in the Cape. I mean, uh, they can develop there very well. It seems like they do that. They do that year over year. Is the next guy who's been waiting in the wings kind of emerges and uh, and fills the hole. And and I suspect they'll continue to do that. But I just I guess I'm intrigued just because. You know, it's it's a program that we almost take for granted, like East Carolina, because they're good every year. And um, now you've got a change in leadership at the very top, but you've got somebody who's been there and has been a big part in their success. And, um, you know, I, I, I look forward to seeing them keep it going because I think that they will. And I have very little doubt about it. That's you know what is interesting. Well, I don't want to steal one for you, Kendall. Let me let me pause my thought there. But I like that you went off brand there Fitzy or kind of off SEC brand if you will who are you going with Kendall so it's a program in the southeast that's got your attention headed in the fall yeah you know what I'll go with the Mississippi State I mean what what a bizarre last two years they've had uh, to win 53 games in two years after uh, winning the national championship not getting to the, to the SEC tournament this past season uh, all the offseason drama you had you know, Scott Foxhall leaving. You had Dakota Jordan going in the portal for like two days. Uh, you had Braden Montgomery essentially being uh, the guy that, you know, people are kind of calling the savior a little bit. You know, everybody thinks he's going to Mississippi State. He ends up going to Texas A&M. So you have all, you know, there's a portion of the fan base that, you know, isn't real happy with Chris Lamonis. So you have all these different storylines. And as you go into a fall that, frankly, is extremely important, not only for Lamonis, but I feel like the program as a whole just to kind of get – get the momentum back in their favor uh, after the last two seasons. I'm just really intrigued to see what, what state looks like this fall, because uh, you know, on, on paper um, the, the, the pitching doesn't quite measure up to some of the other SEC teams, but it'll be interesting to see as some guys emerge under new pitching coach, Justin Parker, who, by the way, I thought, I mean, even though they had some injuries, I thought he did a pretty nice job of South Carolina's pitching last season. Agreed. Uh, Mid pod trivia question for you guys in the last 16 years, I want you guys to guess how many times Mississippi State has finished dead last in the SEC in baseball. In the last how many years? In the last 16 years. You're, you're muted, Fitzy. In the last 16 seasons, last 16 completed seasons, how many times – actually, it's 15 because I'm including 2020. So in the last 15 seasons, how many times have they finished dead last? Dead I'm going to say three. Last. Five. Three for Kendall, five for Fitzy. Joe? I guess I'll split the difference and go four. Four. <laughs> Four is the answer. And just to be clear, in 08 and 09, there were 12 teams in the SEC at the time, right? Isn't that crazy? Like a program, like Mississippi State trying hard in baseball, this started in the 80s. So it's not like in 08 and 09, they were just kind of fiddling around with baseball. Like, I just, you know, I see all this heat on Chris Limonis, and I just, I get it. But I also feel like Mississippi State does not have a great 
view, they don't have a great understanding of their own history in baseball. Like, and of course, there's high highs in there, clearly, right? Omaha's and Omaha stretches and national titles. But dead last four, like they're averaging a dead last every four years at this point. Yeah, I mean, it, it's something that I used to talk about a decent bit was that, look, for, for a program that has some high highs, as you allude to, Runes, like they are not immune from the st- from like a stinker every once in a while. And that was true before the last couple of years. And I thought, you know, I kind of thought honestly that them getting to Omaha and, and whatever it was, 18 and 19, and then they came back and looked really good. And, you know, we had high expectations for them in 20, and then they obviously win a national title. I kind of thought, okay, those days are, those days are over now. Mm-hmm. Like this is just a program operating with the, the new, the new dude. And with just those resources and the sec being what it was, I said, okay, those, those days are kind of over. And now I guess not, honestly, <laughs> like we, we've seen that the last couple of years and, some of that is just because anybody can get got in the SEC, but um, I, I do think there is something in, in in that program where, yeah, they're just they're not immune to having the average year where it just does not go well. Mm, it's crazy, very crazy. Now, again, in fairness, right, like to those fans, like, hey, Chris Lamona said two stinkers in a row, and so you know, like that, that's a thing, right? Like that's one is a mulligan, two you start to worry that it's becoming a pattern. So, like, like we've you guys have all said, very, very big year for this program. So that's me for the Southeast, right? I'm wrapping up the Southeast. I'm just going to do the obvious is LSU. Like I just, I'm just fascinated by um, where the, you know, like I think it's the best transfer class in the country. I I still am flabbergasted that their freshman class lost one player to the draft. Um, They return a lot of good players. Like I would, are you could, this is the dumbest thing in the world to say, but I'll say it. Do they have too many good players? They don't have a Skeens or a Cruz, but do they have too much depth? Because all none of those kids went to LSU to watch baseball. They all went there to play. Um, these are high profile. There, there is a lot. This is a this is the highest profile roster in the country right now. And so I'm just I'm super fascinated to see how that plays out. Um, you know, Jay Johnson is he's as good at keeping the bottom of his roster alive as anyone in the country. But I, I mean. Yeah, I just think LSU was very compelling last year, and I think they're equally compelling this year. So, very and by, by the way, uh, just so, just so people don't think we're picking on Mississippi State, it's also a uh, a big fall for Ole Miss. You know, they had one of the worst pitching staffs in the SEC last year, and they lose some key pieces offensively. So, I, I would I would actually add Ole Miss to it and say for the Magnolia State as a whole, because Fit mentioned Ostrander earlier. Obviously, we feel pretty confident about USM, but this is also a really important year for Ole Miss. And, you know, on paper, they've got a lot of holes to fill. Yep. Isn't it? It's just always code red in the SEC, right? Like it's, it's there, you can't, you cannot yeah. get it for, for error. I mean, seriously. Yeah. If you show any sign of weakness, someone is taking your spot. Yeah. Why do you think Mark Etheridge has silver hair now? I mean, like, well, it was, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He had red hair like two weeks ago. I don't back when he was only doing back when he's only doing projections, like his hair was perfectly brown. Yeah. Amen. Now he's covering the SEC again. He's back to the Silver Fox. Joe, before you take us to the Southwest, I just want to call out two programs. Samford and Jacksonville State are intriguing to me because like these schools in that part of the country are just getting absolutely uh, you know hammered in the transfer portal. It's like those are the schools that the SEC schools play in the midweek. And if you've got guys with good stats, it's like I, I don't know how these guys protect their rosters. But yet then Sanford, they didn't win the SOCON last year, but man, they were awesome in the Auburn regional. So, I, I mean, bravo to those coaches and those programs. My instincts are that they will be very good again. But I'm just, you know, I mean, they, they are getting pilfered in the portal. That, so anyway. Yeah, not, not, not only do they play those teams in the midweek, but a lot of those players are because they recruit mostly locally. Those are a lot of players that SEC programs probably took long, hard looks at in recruiting and thought, eh, not quite, right? And then they go and put up big numbers at Samford and or Troy or Jacksonville State or whatever, and then it's like, okay, actually, on second thought, come on down, you know? I've got ideas for those programs. Like, start playing your midweek games with camouflage face paint. Actually purposely put guys' wrong jerseys on. Hey, Aaron, you're wearing 52 tonight. Don't ask questions. Just do it. Like, really play a little shell game with them. Yeah. I don't know. Might be on to something. Uh, Joe, take us to the Southwest, please. Uh, I'm going to go Texas Tech. It's just a program that 
I don't think we, we have to beat around the bush any more than just to say like, just hasn't been the same last couple of years. And I think it's one thing to look at the results and say that. Um, and I think you can draw that conclusion by looking at the results, but it's also that we understand when we talk about the portal that we kind of expected when, when the portal really opened up that schools like Samford, for example, were okay. Those guys are probably going to get picked over because it is what it is. Those SoCon players want to go play in the SEC or whatever, the big 12 ACC. But, and then even with a school like Alabama, they got picked over. It's like, okay, well, but they had a coaching change. Like those guys mm-hmm. didn't come necessarily commit to Rob Vaughn. Right. Um, so th- those guys are just going to go explore their opportunities. I don't think, you would have expected a program like Texas tech though, to be one that would struggle with that. It's high profile program, been to Omaha a bunch of times, uh, same coaching staff. There's a lot of continuity there. And yet Hudson white heads out to Arkansas, Mason Molina follows him to Arkansas. That's not a program that you would expect to kind of be bleeding some of its most talented players. Um, and there might be good reasons for that, you know, beyond just kind of the, they feel like it's a better opportunity to Arkansas the players transfer for all kinds of reasons. But again, when you talk about programs that we would have thought up as like, yeah, these guys are going to have a tough time in the transfer portal age, like Texas Tech is not one of those. And yet um, it's a program that finds itself having to play a little bit of defense. And when you combine that with the results the last couple of years, just kind of slipping a little bit, you do go into the fall kind of wondering what is going to be next for this program and how much can they kind of, uh, you know, bootstrap themselves back up to be an elite program. God, and it, I don't know if you guys had this feeling too, but I'm like with Texas Tech, I'm just swerving, right? Like I'm with Joe, everything you just said is kind of where my head's at. Like, I just feel like, hey, because they were, let's be honest, they, they were a top five program, right? Like they were like top, very top of the mountain. And so like when we say they've slipped a little bit, like the bar was crazy high, right? So, so I do feel like they're not a top five program anymore. Like there's no, there's nothing wrong with that. But so I'm like wobbly on them, but I like their team last year because they were young. But man, in the regional in Gainesville, am I imagining this or like they gave Florida everything they wanted and then some like that that could have easily turned out a different way. Did I imagine that or no? I mean, it depends on how you define it, right? Because they started off two and zero in that regional, and then they were just frankly kind of non-competitive against Florida in both of those final games, and so it was. It was very, frankly, and this is going to sound a lot meaner than I mean it to be. It looked like one of those regionals where a mid-major three seed goes two and zero, and then when the when the SEC or ACC club comes back around out of the losers bracket, you get to Sunday and Monday, and it's all all of a sudden like, okay, now we see the difference in in yeah. quality and depth here. That's and fair. you know, again, that's not what you'd really think you'd say about Texas Tech. But by the time when they got to the Sunday and, and Monday, it was it felt like a pretty stark difference. Yep. And I, and I would say, too, the other thing about Texas Tech is if you look back at the years that they were just flat out dominant, they always just had that, you know, that that, you know, absolute superstar. And I just thought when you looked at Tech overall this past year, I thought they left a, a lot to be desired in the mound. And I really thought just offensively with that group, I, I've at least for me, I think when you got past Nolan Hester, Kevin Bazell and Gavin Cash, I thought that lineup was was very gettable. For, for a pitcher. So I just didn't think they had quite as much offensive depth as they usually do. And when you, you add that with the fact that I didn't think their pitching staff is very good, that's not a very good combination. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. You're in, you're not kidding, Joe. It was, I think I was conflating in my mind. I knew they went two and zero, and I think I was conflating the competitiveness of that super regional, but you're right. Florida beat them 14 to one in those last two games. And they didn't even get to the, to fi- they didn't even get to the regional final two years ago. Did they in Statesboro? No, they no, they, oh, and no, two, yeah. oh, and two, right? Yeah, yeah, it was hotly contested, but I mean, they were all like crazy one-run games, low scoring, but interesting. Yeah. Fitzy, what are you doing for the uh, Southwest? Yeah, I'm going to keep it short and sweet here. I mean, keep us moving along. Uh, what's Oral Roberts going to do for an encore? Love it. Uh, you know, one of our great feel-good stories last year. It's been a consistent winning program for a long time. We talked about kind of UNC Wilmington and those teams that were knocking on the door for a while. Or Roberts had actually been to a super, um, you know, what, 15 or so years back, uh, however long it had been. But this is the first time uh, that they they made all the way to Omaha. They, they've elevated their program. Um, but you got some big shoes to fill, as we all know. Once again, the team that had, you know, some, lost some of their, their serious star power. But, um, you know, 
it's always neat to see what those teams do kind of the year after. I mean, Stony Brook hasn't, hasn't been able to replicate it. You know, a lot of those teams that have made those, those kind of runs, Kent state, uh, it, it was a pinnacle for a lot of those teams. Now, how do you sustain? How do you, how do you build upon, I'm not saying you're going to go back to Omaha, you know, maybe, maybe you will, maybe you won't, but um, can you sustain a high level like that? Uh, I, I don't see any reason to believe that they won't remain the class of their league as they have been for the last two and a half decades. But um, you know, what, what's next for Oral Roberts? Let's uh, let's see. I'm going to have Ryan Fulmer on one of my Sunday night conversations. I just booked that just that run. You know, I just, it felt like the right thing to do because only three times is a four seed minute to Omaha only yeah. eight times have they even won a regional. Um, yeah. So, and they were down eight, nothing twice on that run to Omaha. And then the game against TCU. Yeah. I mean, what I, yeah, I can't wait to unpack that with Ryan Fulmer. So very cool. Okay. Rizzle, what do you got for the Southwest? Uh, I'm going to go with Texas. Um, once again, it was just kind of a little bit of an odd off season with some of their, just kind of some of the coaching moves there on that coaching staff. Uh, I think when you look at this team from a personnel standpoint, obviously they have some pieces to replace in some various spots, but uh, you know, getting Tanner Witt back for them, you think would be huge. Uh, I think one of the big question marks for me and really the most intriguing thing for me is, you know, will, will Tanner Witt bounce back? You know, he did not finish the season very well in the spring. Uh, he was not very impressive this summer at the Cape Cod League. And, you know, will he kind of, you know, will he you know, finally be recovered from that Tommy John and will he kind of be back to his normal self? That's a big question mark. And the other thing for me on the positive side, Runes, is LeBaron Johnson. I, I thought LeBaron was very good at the end of last, last season. To me, you know, at the end of the year, was one of the best pitchers, one of the best starting pitchers in college baseball. And so just that, that combination of the uncertainty with wit and LeBaron Johnson finishing really strong and can he take that next step? I'll tell you what, if LeBaron is the dude that he was in the last year and Tanner Wick can kind of figure it out again, uh, Texas could be really good. Yeah, they had as good of an offseason as anybody. So I'll wrap up the Southwest with Oklahoma State. I just, that's a program that swirls in my head, right? Like, Hey, they've been to 10 straight regionals. That's the fourth best streak in the country of the, you know, like this is a weird word to use, but prominent of the prominent head coaches in college baseball. Josh Holiday has never missed a regional. The only other prominent head coach that I know of that can make that statement is Kevin O'Sullivan because it's Vandy 17 straight, Florida 15 straight, LSU 11 straight, Oklahoma 10 straight. I mean, Josh Holiday's never missed a regional. And I can name a lot of Hall of Fame coaches that have missed regionals. So, but I, but at the same time, I don't, I, I don't really know Oklahoma State's team that well going into this fall. I do like Mark Ginther as you know, uh, an assistant coach that they they grabbed from West Virginia. I think that's really cool. Um, I don't know. I just it, Oklahoma State has had this very um, kind of unique, wild run of postseason disappointment. Um, for the last, you know, mm -hmm. since 2016. And, you know, like, I, I can see why it's happening. But at the same time, they've got this gorgeous facility, they're well coached, they get better throughout the year. There's just a lot of mixed messages right now. Like, they're, they're kind of like UCLA, like, I can't believe UCLA has not popped in Omaha since 2013. I can't believe Oklahoma State has not popped in Omaha since 2016. But it's hard, right? Like, it's, it's, uh, it's, I don't know. It ain't easy. So again, that's why I'm intrigued because I think very highly of this program. Uh, I'm very intrigued to know the roster. I just, I thought last year was the team and they went 0 and 2 in their own regional. So what do I know? You know, it's very, very confusing. So uh, Joe, you want to take us to the West and we'll wrap it. I will. Uh, I'm going to talk about USC last year. I think, you know, okay, they faded a little bit and down the stretch, and it, the ending wasn't necessarily, I guess, what they would have wanted. But I think, regard, I think I said at some point to you guys in late April or early May there that regardless of how it ends for USC, it's been an unmitigated success for mm -hmm. that program in, in year one with that staff, and they were just competent. Frankly, is like the only way I could put it. Like the, the roster, and I, you know, frankly, I just I don't think I'm telling tales out of school to say that the, the roster really wasn't that talented, honestly, <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it, but it, they played above their skill level and some stars emerged, right? I mean, we didn't know who Austin Overn was at this time last year, right? And now he's he's a guy who got a, you know, a, a call up to go to training camp for Team USA and he's a guy we're really looking at next year. And so what does that next step look like? Uh, you know, was, was that just kind of the bump you sometimes get by having a new voice in the dugout and some of that stuff that can just kind of happen or 
was that kind of the jumping off point for something bigger? And that's more of a three years down the road kind of question, but I do think we can see, you know, if the talent does improve and I have to, uh, you know, from everything I've heard, Travis Jewett been putting in work on the recruiting trail. And so we, we have to assume that the talent is going to continue to increase year over year. And, and what can they do with that, that increased talent moving forward? I'm, I'm certainly going to be interested to find out. Mm, yeah. I think you mentioned it two podcasts ago, Kendall, that's that coaching staff, just so good. So freaking good. I like, Fitzy, uh, oh, go ahead, Fitzy. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll go ahead. I'm I'm gonna cape up the Oregon State Beavers. Did I do that <laughs> right, show? Cape up for them. Cape up, cape for, up them. for them. Well done. Mm-hmm. Cape up for the Beavers. Uh, this is a program that, as we all know, the whole athletic department has been, you know, tragically uh, abandoned by the Conference yeah. of Champions. <laughs> Clean it up, Conference of Champions. It's it's you know talk about done dirty. Boy, oh boy, yeah. that's, yeah. A, that's a rough scene. Well, then their athletic and, and, department will not fund the third assistant on top of that. Yeah, well, that's that's not a good look either. But uh, it, it, right now, I think, you know, we do our program rankings all the time. If you were to rank the most successful program of this millennium, I think I think Oregon State might be the answer. Just because they've be got, in the conversation, right? Certainly in the conversation. Three national championships. No one else has done that. Because uh, because LSU in two thousand that was technically the last millennium. Nobody likes to hear that, but it's true. Um, two thousand one was the first year of this millennium. So it's just the Beavers, right? Am I forgetting anybody? For no one else has done three. I mean, South no Carolina and LSU have done two. Yep. And that's no one else has even Texas, done. So oh, Vandy's done two. Vandy, Vandy Texas. and Texas. Yeah. So two. No one's done three. Couple, you know, fourteen anyway, done too. You know, and and to to, it's it, it's college baseball royalty now, and yeah. they sustained it now since two thousand five. I mean, they've been an elite program in college baseball. It's still incredible. Um, they've been good since Pat Casey retired. They have not been back to Omaha. They've not been they've not been elite under Mitch Canham yet. Uh, I think they have the personnel coming back to be potentially elite i think they have they have an omaha caliber roster but it's still fairly young there's still some questions to be answered especially in the mound i mean because you know their best teams they've really had great pitching i mean you know like like most programs right uh omaha caliber runs you got to have some real arms and and they have on some of those teams and and, you know that was i think a little lacking last year um but i like i like Again, some of the young talent there. I'm very eager to see if they take those steps forward. It almost feels like this last year with the conference as currently constituted, it feels like a, a crucial moment. You know, it's like you got to strike now while the iron is hot before Thank you lose you. before you lose your recruiting advantages. Like, who knows what the future is going to look like for Oregon State athletics? But like, uh, you got to think it's probably going to get harder for them to recruit in the new landscape um, now that they're no longer in the power conference, right? Uh, I don't know where yeah. they're going to land. I, I, you know, or, or they're going to merge with the Mountain West is what it seems like it's going to happen. But like, you got to feel like that's probably not a great thing for the baseball program. Can they continue to be an elite program under that, that context? I don't know, but winning big this year would really help. I think it'd be a huge springboard and I think they have a chance to do it. Boy, it'd be good for the soul. I, I, I don't know if you guys would agree with this, but, and feel free to fill in the, fill in the blanks here. When I think about my favorite all-time college baseball teams, two here are two teams that just pop right into my brain. 2014 Louisiana Lafayette, so fun. You know, just like their style of play. 2018 Oregon State. 2018 Oregon State, their lineup had four first-round picks and Stephen Kwan. I mean, like, what an – in Corvallis, Oregon. How about, how about you guys, any other team that when I say your favorite college baseball team of all time that just jumps right to the – Funny your brain. What you know, I was gonna say, what what round was Grinier taken? He was the 30, he was like a sandwich supplemental. Pick, so I'm, yeah. I'm rounding up. He's um, he is the fourth. I'll I'll answer this first. Uh, Joe, I see you're preparing to answer, but because one of my answers is a totally different Oregon State team. I the the 0506, especially those first two beaver teams, uh awesome. they got to Omaha. I love those two teams. Uh the 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 20 you know, 14, 15 Vanderbilt teams with their personalities, the South Carolina teams, 2010 to, to 12. I mean, awesome. those personalities. Uh, and of course, Coastal Carolina, 
uh, in 2016. I mean, just maybe, you know, maybe Amazing. my all-time favorite Lord personalities. God. And Wake Forest last year were their personalities. I mean, the t- you know, all those teams have something in common. They just had yeah. so much character and just, you know, uh, that, that kind of freewheeling deal where just guys that are just really easy to like, man. Like, it's just really fun to cover. Yeah, that's awesome. Who are you going with, Joe? One of, one of your favorite all-time teams. The like kind of 07, 08, this is going to be an answer after your own heart runes. Those like 07, 08 Arizona state with Ike Davis and Brett Wallace. And we were faking fights out in the, on the field. That's my kind of party right there. Um, I mean, it was just like, because they were so talented and they were so like, there were so many, I mean, you would know better than I runes, but it just also seemed like that team had a lot of really aloof, weird personalities. Yes. And so like, I just, I don't know. Like that is, I joke, but that is kind of my kind of team, just a bunch of kind of weird dudes and they were super talented and just went about their business. And they honestly seemed more like a collection of talents than a team sometimes, frankly. And so I just, I don't know. I kind of gravitated towards them. And and so that, that's where I go for sure. was, was that kind of 07, 08 Arizona state. I never thought about that before, but you're right. Like very odd ducks on that team. Like Mike Leak was a very yeah, unique dude. Kind of, kind of a weird Preston dude. Preston Paramore yeah. was pretty unique. And um, Kyle Rowling, remember? How was, was, was yeah. Zena, Zena Cole wasn't on that team, was he? No, Zena Cole's on the 05 he, he, yeah, team. Yeah. Kipnis was on that team. Kipnis yeah. another really unique cat. You're like, yeah, you, that's, you nailed it. Oh my gosh. That's well done. Kendall, favorite college baseball team of all time. You got one? I, I kind of tend to go with that 14 Lafayette team. Um, they were so great. Out, you know, outside of maybe Tennessee a couple of years ago, that's the best team I've seen. I'll get to them uh, the, the thing about the Louisiana team was their offensive mentality was like uncontrolled chaos. Like it so was great. absolutely ridiculous. I mean, they would, they would still in situations they had no business stealing. They would have a guy, I remember in, in the Super, they had a guy, I think it was Chase Compton, Hit a hit a grand slam, and then they had him bunning the next you know the next time up. Like you just had no idea what to expect. Now, ultimately, uh, th- their pitching just wasn't good enough. But I mean, that offense was absolutely relentless uh, for Louisiana. That was a that was a fun team. And I still that's still the best super I've been to. That play for for Christian Trent to pitch the way he did for Ole Miss, given the fact they had they had not been to Omaha. Uh, that was really impressive because that atmosphere was outrageously good. So good. That's yeah, that's great. Kendall, give us a team from the West. That's intriguing to you. Well, I'm going to go the same route that Joe did here. Uh, I'm going to go with Arizona state. Uh, You know, I think when you look at Arizona state, you know, we talked earlier about Oklahoma state and teams like that, not getting Omaha in a few years. How about Arizona state not getting Omaha since 2010? Uh, This is a program that's been Omaha 22 times. Crazy. Uh, You know, we got a guy here who was in Omaha with Arizona state. So, I just think when you look at the Sun Devils overall, I, I think we're seeing progress with William Bloomquist's uh, program. First year, not very good. Last year, winning record in the Pac-12, winning record overall. They were in the postseason hunt. Now it's it's going to be imperative for the Sun Devils to kind of take that next step. Like, can they can they kind of do like you know can can them and like USC for instance take yet another step this coming season? I'm really intrigued to see. Uh, what you what you see out of the Sun Devils this fall because uh, th- it could be a big fall for them. This is a big. We talk about Oregon State in the springboard season. This could be a big springboard for for Willie on the recruiting trail. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really important. I'm gonna I'll wrap us with two teams. So Cal is intriguing to me because they have a really good junior class. Like we're gonna wake up in July and Cal's gonna have like seven dudes drafted. You know, and, and some prominent ones. Caleb Lomavita could play his way into the first round. R.J. Green could play his way into the first round. I just am, you know, it's like, just feel like we've seen this movie before where they're going to have great high-end talent. They're not going to have enough depth. Maybe get to a regional. But I, it's a fun, I, I, it's cool that those kids stayed there. Um, you know, we all think very highly of Mike New. The program I want to pick is Fullerton. I just, mm-hmm. like, talk about a crossroads, right? They were very old last year. It was really encouraging to see them back in the in, in the in the postseason. But again, it's like, here you are, this school with the incredible tradition in the middle of Orange County, California. Like, how can this not work, right? Like, they have one of the nicest facilities out there. They've really spent money on their facility. Like, not all of the good players in orange County can go to the sec. They, they can't all leave. Right. So like how can Fullerton not be good at baseball? And we like their coaching staff, but again, they, they, this is going to be a very new team. 
Like they, they got, they got a, they, this is a real reset in my mind. And so I don't know what to think, but I'm really curious to see what they look like uh, in the fall. And, you know, again, hopeful. I, I think we all agree college baseball is better when the Fullertons of the world are, you know, in the mix, when they're frisky, when they're, you know, like we want, we want them to be good. So uh, as we wrap, Kendall, I've got fall 20, gets you 20% off an annual subscription to D1 Baseball and SEC Extra. Now, this little ribbon going across the bottom would uh, disagree with that. Should we stick with fall 20? Fall 20, yeah, go for that. Yeah, let's do that. Let's go. Fall 20, it's got to be an annual subscription, gets you 20% off. Uh, the annual subscriptions to SEC Extra or D1Baseball.com. If you're watching us on YouTube, smash the subscribe button. We mentioned the family of podcasts. Really pleased with that. Uh, that is it, boys. We, we cranked out an hour here. Let's shut her down right there. Everyone have a great week. We will see you next time on the D1 Baseball Podcast. The D1 Baseball Podcast is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts. Spectrum Business knows small business owners have to do it all. Get Spectrum One for business. Just $49.99 a month for internet, advanced Wi-Fi with security shield, and a free mobile line for a year. Learn more at spectrum.com slash business. Restrictions apply. Services not available in all areas. We all know Kit Kat bars taste delicious, but what about how they sound? It's not just a catchy jingle. It's the satisfying crack of breaking off a piece of Kit Kat, followed by a crisp crunch. Oh, we forgot one other sound that accompanies Kit Kat bars, too. It's, or maybe it's more like, all together, Kit Kat bars are music to our ears and yummy flavors to our mouths. Have a break. Have a Kit Kat.